every once in a while, you get, as a pastor, you get fired up about something that you know is necessary for the body of Christ to hear and to be taught and for us to delve into. And, and sometimes it's not one of those comfortable messages, but it's something that the body of Christ needs to hear in order to be prepared, in order to be well-rounded, and as the, the word says, lacking nothing. And if a soldier um, were going into battle, that soldier, you can bet, is trained. He goes through basic training, of course, and then he gets into, and that's kind of a, a prerequisite, requisite, if you will, to prepare him or her for future service, and then comes maybe the, the specified training and things that they're going to be doing while they're in the service, okay? And if each, each soldier is, is trained in their craft, be it a pilot, be it a, a foot soldier, be it a technical person, but each one of them is trained in their areas so that, God forbid, they ever need it. They're ready to go like that. And so it is with the soldier, if you will, of the cross, all right? Now, we are not militant soldiers as a world would look at the military. We are a soldier, if you will, of love, a soldier of the cross, carrying the cross with us wherever we go, representing our commander-in-chief, who is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Last week, we talked a little bit about righteous resistance. Well, what is a righteous resistance? And in response to that question, I will quote Edmund Burke, who said, the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for what? Yeah, you got it. Good men to do nothing. Good people to do nothing. Okay? And basically what that means is evil is going to advance regardless, okay, unless somebody stands up to stop it. Okay? Now, in church it is often said, or among the Christian community, that it is, it's not right for the people of God to be involved in politics or to be involved in government and all of these things. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And not, now this is not a message, this is not a recruiting session to get people to go into politics. This is not a government political message that uh, talks about the Democrats and, and Republicans and who's right and who's wrong. This ain't that. This is a message about Christian people, believers, and how we should respond to evil when we see it. Because if we are silent, if we do nothing, if we are still and quiet, then that evil is going to keep going. So we're going to see, we're going to meet some people that did that very thing, that saw evil 
advancing in a decree from a tyrannical, if you will, a tyrannical authority that says everybody got to do this or else. Okay? So last week we talked about, if you remember, we talked about the midwives. Do you remember in Egypt and Pharaoh noticed that the Hebrew people were growing in numbers in Egypt? And they were the slaves, remember? And he says, okay, midwives... Remember, these midwives were people, ladies that helped uh, mothers when they were birthing, okay? And Pharaoh says, I make a new decree. This is the way it's going to be now. All the midwives, when you are helping the Hebrew women in childbirth, if it is a boy that is born, you are to kill it. And if it is a girl, you are to let it live. What did you just say? You want me to kill this baby, this defenseless baby who has no voice, who has no power. That's what you want me to do. That's what Pharaoh said. But the midwives, they feared God, and they went against the king's, the Pharaoh's decree to kill these babies, and they didn't do it. Because they feared, they obeyed a higher power. Okay? And then it says that, When Pharaoh found out about this, he says, Hey, did I not tell you to kill the baby boys of the Hebrew women and let the girls live? Well, yes, yes, we do. But but this is what happens, O king. The the birthing mothers of, of the Hebrew people birth so fast that by the time we get there, the babies are already born. Hmm, Okay. That, right, that could be possible. So, what happens is these women resist this law of the land. Let's call it the law of the land. This decree from this tyrannical king that says, you're going to kill all of these babies, boys, or else. Okay? But they didn't do it. Why? Because they obeyed a higher power. Now remember, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, had not yet been written because Moses, who was one of these Hebrew little boys, was not even born yet. All right? Now it says in that scripture, it says that God blessed them with families of their own, these midwives, because they obeyed him. And then we talked about how once the Pharaoh got wind of this what was happening, he says, okay, this is what's going to happen then. And he gives another decree, and he says, all right, you Hebrew women, you're going to do this yourself. If you have a baby boy, you're to take that baby boy, and you're to throw him into the Nile River. This now became the law of the land. Can you imagine the fear Can you imagine the heartache of these Hebrew mothers and fathers having to throw their brand new baby boy into the river? I cannot imagine. One mother decided that she would resist this law. And you can bet that this was being enforced now. Okay? Now... This mother hid her baby boy 
for three months. So this baby is now three months old, and she could not hide it any longer. And so she took a basket, basket of papyrus, and she um, put the baby in it. She, she put pitch and tar on the bottom of this basket so that it would float on the river and keep the baby dry. And she set the baby adrift on the Nile River. Now, as this was going on, the baby's sister was watching from a distance away, okay? And who finds this beautiful baby Hebrew boy that's three months old but Pharaoh's daughter herself? And she, she sees how beautiful this baby is. She says, this is a beautiful Hebrew baby boy. I'm, I'm going to keep him for myself, I'm going to pay you to nurse this baby. So, the, so this baby boy who's supposed to be dead because his mother stood up for him, stood against, resisted this law of the land that went. Now listen, she stood against this law that stood against God and what God stands for. Therein, friends, is the qualifying factor, Okay. So we don't just go resisting any law that we feel like. I don't feel... What is going on with this thing? Goodness. I don't feel like obeying this law that says I must go 50 miles an hour, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to obey this law that says I can't steal... So I'm not going to do it. We can't do that stuff, all right? Because those laws are supported by God himself. We, we read that last week, okay? But when it comes to laws that go against everything that God stands for, all right, such as this law. So this sister takes this baby boy back to his mama, and his mama cares for him, nurses him, and the, the daughter of Pharaoh then pays for the child to be cared for. How about that? That's miraculous. That's unbelievable. Well, we know that this baby boy is Moses. And Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses because she pulled him from the Nile. And that's what Moses means, from, pulled from the Nile. And Moses, as we know, for the third thing here in a row in our list of righteous resistance, Moses resists Pharaoh himself later on as he grows up and becomes a man. And what does he say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. Let my people go. What is that you say? To me, the king, you, a murderer, because he killed somebody, right? You, from the Hebrew slaves, are telling me to let all of these slaves go. Are you out of your mind, brother? Or have you lost it? Okay, this is a dangerous thing that he did in resisting and could cost him his life just like that. But God was on his side. God was 
on his side. And friends, if God is for us, tell me what? Who can be against us? So Moses obeys God and resists the law of the land of this Pharaoh. And with the help of God and Aaron, his brother, he leads God's people out of Egypt to freedom, out of slavery. Now, I want to introduce you to some good friends of mine, four to be exact. And I wonder... So let me, let me just kind of set the stage here a little bit for these four people. Their country, their nation had been conquered by the Babylonians. And so the Babylonians took these people as prisoners. And so the king had one of his advisors go and search for any people amongst these exiles, these prisoners, to see if any had what it takes to be in the king's court, to be in the king's service. And so, these four people, these four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was not their original names, but they were changed by this king, They were chosen, and so they went into training. They were taught language. They were taught all of these different things in in wisdom literature and, and all of these different things, physical training and all these things. And so one of the first things that happens to them, these young men of God, is that the king says to them that, I have a diet that you will be eating from so that you will be the best, the smartest, the strongest, and the best looking. So you're going to eat my food from my table. Okay? Now, in verse 5, it says, The king of Daniel 1, if you want to turn there with me, Daniel chapter 1, verse 5, it says, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, you would think that this is a great idea and that these young men would really love to have what the king is eating. However, what the king is eating has most assuredly been offered to idols, which is against what a Jewish young man and woman are able to eat. So herein lies a problem. Will they eat then what is decreed by this conquering king, or will they resist because they know that if they go ahead and eat this food from the king's table, that they will be going against what God told them to do? So is it right them for us, for them to uh, resist 
the law of the land, which was they were going to eat what the king gave them or else? Or is it right for them to do what God told them to do? So while they're training, Daniel says to this officer, and he says, we, we can't, we have decided, we have made up our minds that we are not going to eat this king's food. Look in verse 8 of chapter 1. It says, but Daniel resolved himself not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Okay? So Daniel says to this official, official, hey, can we not eat the king's food? And he says, what are you, crazy? The king would have my head if when your time of training is done and you go before the king and you look destitute and everybody else looks strong and fit and good looking and you guys look horrible. The king will have my head when he finds out that you are only being fed something different. Why would I do that? Absolutely not. This is not going to happen. But Daniel says, now wait a minute. What if we, what if you test us for 10 days? Test us for 10 days and only give us vegetables and water. Now that sounds like a great diet to me. I don't know. Okay. Vegetables and water, we don't eat the the stuff from the king's table. And then after 10 days, you take a look at us, and you take a look at the others that are being fed from the king's table. And then from that point on, you judge for yourself and decide what you're going to do. And so the official agreed to it. So So for 10 days straight, he fed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only veggies and water. And after 10 days, he came and looked at them and compared them to these others. And he found that they were even in better shape. They were more healthy than the others. Now, this is not a nutritional message. This is not a nutritional message that says we should only eat veggies and water. But in this case, it worked out so that they were even more healthy than the other guys who were eating all the stuff. Okay? Now, so these four young men, okay, now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were about Megan's age. Did I surprise you? <laughs> okay, they are around graduation age. Where's, where's Kira at? She, she's not here. Okay. All right. So they're about that age, mind you, all right? And the king, they are now training to be in the king's service. And they are already resisting what the king is saying. Why? Because it goes against their higher authority and obedience to God. That is why. It's not because they didn't like what he was serving that day. I take my meat, rare, not well done. That was not the issue. The issue was it goes against what God told us to do. In 
in verse 17 through 20. It says, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time that uh, it was set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to, to Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found uh, none equal to Daniel, and here was their names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, now listen to this, ten times better than all of the other musicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. What is the message? The message is that these young men, even though they were young, teenagers in fact, they stood up for what they knew to be right, even though it went against a tyrannical governing authority. Next, in in Daniel 3, we learn that these three young men begin, they follow through with this acting on their faith. They follow through with standing up for what is right. They follow through with standing up for obeying their higher authority rather than this tyrannical governing authority. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar decided that he was going to have a statue built, more than likely in his honor, a statue probably of himself, though it doesn't say that, but it was common in those days to do such. And King Nebuchadnezzar was a very proud, self-seeking, kind of narcissistic person, okay? And so he has this statue built, That's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And so the idea was that when all... Now, he gathered to himself everyone that was in his service, okay? Hundreds of people across the land that were in his service. He calls them all together. Now... Now listen here, there's something to be said about this. This is an act of conquering. Now with this act of causing people to bow down to him or to this statue, he's saying that your gods, all of these other gods that you represent from your own nations that I have conquered... This means when you bow down to me and to this statue, that your gods are conquered. Okay, that's something very important to understand here. So when all of the people bow down, they're saying that our gods are not as good or not as powerful or as strong as what I am worshiping. Okay, so king says that at the sound of the music, when you hear the sound of the music, every one of you is to bow down and to worship this statue that I have put up. Oh boy. Can you imagine the heart of these young men 
who know that they can't do that. We can't worship another God besides our own God. How can we do that? And so all the musicians are ready and all of the king's people are ready and they're assembled in this one place in front of this big statue and then the music begins to play. And everyone bows down, down on their knees with their faces to the ground and maybe their hands toward this great statue that stands above everything else. All except for, you guessed it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young boys are standing up like stalks waving in the wind. Everybody else is bowing down, and they just so happen to look over, and there's these three young boys. Out of the thousands, these three young boys are standing up. What are you doing? Get down! Get down! He's going to kill you! And the king was furious. The king was furious. And so he calls them to himself. Did I not tell you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that at the sound of the music, you are to bow down and to worship the statue that I have built? This is your job. Now listen, just in case maybe you didn't understand what I said to you, maybe it went over your little Hebrew head and you didn't understand. Let's try this again. So now, you three young men, at the sound of the music, you are to bow down and to worship the image of gold that I have set up. And what did they say? They said, oh, king, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter because we know that our God is able to deliver us From this fiery furnace, you see, because anybody that didn't obey and bow down and worship, this statue was to be thrown into a fiery furnace and burned. They knew that. Everybody knew it. And so they're like, well, king, our minds are made up. We we don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter because our God is able to deliver us from your hand. And he said... Well, the king was even more infuriated. But the boy said, even if God does not deliver us, we will not bow down. In a sense, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, even if we burn, we will not bow. Wow. These are 17-year-old young Hebrew men, young men, boys. And they're standing up like that. Does that speak to you? They're about the same age as David was when he killed Goliath. What? And so the king, listen to the words he says. He says, and what God will be able to deliver you from my hands? So that's like a direct challenge to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
right? What God will be able to deliver you from my hand? As if to say, I am God myself. I am the most important, powerful authority on this earth. You've got to bow to me, and there's no one that can save you. Well, hmm. So this king is infuriated that they will not bow, that he, they're saying that their God is not going to bow to him or to his God. And so they're tied up, all right, and he's so mad that he orders this fire to be heated seven times hotter than it was before. And we know that seven is a representation of, of like completion, all right? So that fire was, was kindled hotter, as hot as it could be, all right? So hot, in fact, that those who were kindling the fire were killed, and those that were taking these three young boys to the mouth of this furnace were killed as well. So they're tossed in the fire, bound. And what happens? Nobody ever hears from them again. Mm-mm. Oh, no. Oh, no. God had a plan in this difficult situation. No, the king stood up and he says, hey, didn't we just throw three guys into that burning, blazing, seven times hotter furnace? Yes, oh, king, we, I, I was right there. We, we did. And he says, well, how come I see not only three men walking around in this furnace, but there's a fourth. There's a fourth guy walking around in there, and he looks like a son of the gods. I wonder who that might be, a son of the gods. Yeah, I'm thinking that was probably Jesus himself. Wow. And so the king and all of the people are amazed at what is happening. The king is thinking he's the last authority over these young men's lives, and they are going to pay the price. These three men that refused to bow to this tyrannical authority, to this tyrannical decree that you must bow down and worship this idol of gold that I have set up before you. And so he calls to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on out here. I want to talk to you. You got something that is not like anything else. So he calls them out. They come out, present themselves before him. They're not tied up. Their clothes are not burnt. Their hair is not singed. They don't even smell like smoke. How is it that this happened? How is it? And so the king, in amazement, in recognition of the power of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, issues a message for the whole world to hear and to see. No one is to say anything bad against the God of these three young Hebrew boys because no other God is able to save in this way. 
No other God is able to save in this way. Do you see what was happening here? This was just not a happenstance occurrence. This was God displaying himself through these young Hebrew boys. God was displaying himself through the midwives who refused to obey. God was displaying himself through the mother of Moses who refused to obey this tyrannical authority. And each time, God blessed them. Each time, God blessed. And so these young men, it says, were promoted in the land and went into service to the king in a higher, higher authority. Wow. So does this mean then that God wants us to resist any authority that is over us? No, it is not. Because we learned last week in Romans 13 that the authorities that are over us are given and supported by God. Okay? So what does this mean? How do we tell the difference when to resist and when to obey? Do we have to obey the police? Well, yeah, we got to obey the police. Absolutely. Do we have to obey a tyrannical authority that goes against everything that God stands for? That is a different, way different matter. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we go, even as Christians, believers, resisting the governing authorities that are over us in our towns and villages and states and cities, things like that, we will get in trouble for it and we will pay the price and God will be on the side of the governing authority. This is biblical. This is not my opinion, friends. Biblical, okay? Now... On the other hand, if we obey a tyrannical authority that says you must worship this God in this way or you must kill these babies in this way or you must do this or you must do that and it goes against what God says, then, friends, then and only then, I would say, we have to stand up. We have to resist that kind of tyrannical authority. Because if we don't, then it spreads. But because of what these young men did and God did through them and these midwives and this mother and all of these instances, and there's many more, we can see that God is definitely in favor of a disobedience to this kind of authority, isn't he? We're going to talk about Daniel next week. We're going to talk about Daniel in the den of lions next week. Probably one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. If we sit silent. Now, listen, and we talked about this before, and it is a circulated message that goes throughout all of Christendom, I mean all of churches of Christianity, that says it is wrong for 
people, Christian people, to get involved in politics, to get involved in, in law and things like that, that, is, that goes against everything that is, is here. And we're going to find out more about that next week. All right? So listen. God expects you, as believers, to follow him first. To follow him first. Do you understand? I think about our founding fathers. They resisted a tyrannical authority. Had they not, there would be no America today. Think about that. There would be no America today. Would you stand with me? The only thing that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. I think for too long we have done that. Friends, as Christians, as believers, listen to this. If Christians and believers are not involved in the government, who is left? Who is left to do the governing? If Christians and believers are not involved in the lawmaking process, the legislation of laws, who then is making the laws? Let me ask you this. Do you think for one minute that those who are not believers will protect and respect and even create laws to protect our rights to worship? No, they will not. Does that change your thinking a little bit as to how your voice as a believer, as a Christian, should be heard? And you should use it. But use it wisely. Use it wisely. That doesn't mean that you argue. This does not mean that you are a Democrat or a Republican. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking something that is even higher than that. I'm talking about obedience to the God of the universe. Let's close in prayer. And then, fathers, we have a, a special gift to you. Um, how are we doing that? Okay. As they pass over here, my lovely wife, if there's any left, after, is going to hand the fathers a, a gift. And, and Pam is helping, too. I'm not sure. All right. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today. God, we just want to give you all the glory and honor. Father, how you look for and seek out men and women, fathers that will stand up for what is right, that will stand up for truth, that will stand up for justice and represent you in this world, that will teach their families what is right, even though it may not be popular. Father, I pray that you would Uh, Help us as men and women, young and old alike, to stand up for you, to represent you to this world, not in a militant sort of response, but in love, unconditional love, showing and pointing people evermore to the truth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us, O God, to be brave. Help us to be courageous, Heavenly Father.
Bless us all as we go our separate ways today, O Lord. May we represent you well to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.